0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Good morning, church. Come on. Today is a good day to be in church. How many of you happy that you didn't sleep in today? Yeah. You can, you can do it next Saturday. How about that? How about that? Well, I'm Robin, if I haven't met you yet, if you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is an honor to have every single one of you here. Come on, can we just thank Jesus for everybody that got baptized today? Paul and Rasul. Okay, there actually was a secret baptism you didn't know about. Ava, I'm gonna give it up for you, even though you were off camera. Come on, girl, so excited. Well, we're happy to have you here today. If um, you're new with us, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling 23 and Me. How many of you have actually ever done an ancestry like test kit? You did one of those. Come on, audience participation. Who did that? Was anybody surprised by their results? No? No? Okay. Didn't your husband find out he was Jewish? Speaking of Shalom. Yeah? He's, uh, anybody find a sibling they didn't know they had? True story. I have a friend of mine that did a, did the DNA um, test kit and the results came back. And then, you know, you, you look at the results and the people you're matched with and blah, blah, blah. Finds out she has a brother. Isn't that crazy? After, like, 30 years. So, come on. Maybe you now will go do that. Um, I haven't done one myself, but I actually had my kids to, I gave them the test kit for medical reasons. We were researching some stuff about them. And I came to find out something about myself. See, um, as a white girl, <laughs> I cling to any brown I have because, you know, I, I like the summertime when I'm tan and somebody like, is like, oh, maybe some Italian? What have you got? So I'm, I'm Native American, Cherokee and Potawatomi to be exact. <laughs> and I have... I have flaunted that, like, well, what are you? Well, I'm a whole bunch of white things, but I'm Cherokee and Potawatomi. I am Cherokee of people. I actually so confidently would sing that with my mom around the campfire. They took the whole Indian nation. No, no, no other Cherokees in the room. Oh, I would sing it with like such pride. I'm a Cherokee woman, but turns out, I'm not that Native American. I'm basically just a white girl that tans well. So, I was a little sad about that. Well, this morning, we're not gonna pass around test kits in case you were wondering, and we're not going to research your specific DNA in ancestry, but we're going to look at Psalm 23, which we've been doing the past few weeks to see what it is that God says about us, not who we are in our descent and where we came from, but who we are in him. So I want to read this out just to recap, especially if you weren't here in the past few weeks, and we're going to read out Psalm 23 this morning. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me into the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house forever. Come on, that's some good news this morning, right? Many times we hear this psalm being read at a funeral But I don't think that this psalm is just for the time of death. I think there's actually a whole bunch of principles and things that we can apply not to our death but to our everyday lives. Just to recap this morning as we've been in this series, Tim preached the first week and he talked about that valley. He talked about the shadow of death and that place where we could fear. And come on, we figured out there was only a shadow. That was a good word. If you didn't hear that, you can go online and check it out. And then the following two weeks, who learned more about sheep than they ever thought they'd learn? Well, this morning, we're going to be camping out in verse 5, and I'll read that out for you in just a moment. If you're taking notes this morning, grab your notebook, grab something to write with, or maybe just take a mental note. We're going to call this open table this morning. Open table. So verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So many times you can get used to maybe hearing or reading a verse or a portion of scripture and it just becomes normal. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anyway, my my cup overflows, like surely goodness. And we can just kind of like run over it because we're just used to hearing it. But I just want us to slowly back up because does that sound weird to anybody else? You prepare a, well, here's the table. That's grape juice, by the way, in case you were wondering. You prepare a table for me in the presence of who? My enemies. That sounds kind of odd to me. I mean, when I think about this verse, if I were to have written it, I think I would have written it, you prepare a table for me. Period. I would have ended it there. Like, that's good enough. Prepare a table for me. Or if it has to be in the presence of someone, you prepare a table for me in the presence of God. Harps playing, angels flying around. Like that sounds good to me. But instead, it says, In the presence of my enemies. How many of you want to go to a dinner party where your enemies are at? <laughs> Make reservations, you show up to the cliff house, you're like, Come on, enemies, let's all go in. And I'm not talking like the kid who bullied you when you were a child or that coworker who's a jerk, but I'm talking about like all your enemies. You know, Sometimes when life is going good for us, when we don't have any challenges or things that we're facing, we can forget that there is a real enemy. Until like Halloween comes around, and maybe if your neighbors are like mine, they decorate their front yard with skeletons and gravesites and zombies and demons, and then they press they dress their little little boy up like the devil, and you're like, this is huh? I don't understand it. But in that those times we remember, oh, there is an enemy. If you didn't know it this morning, if that's news for you, there is a very real enemy. And his job description is to steal, to kill, and try and destroy you. Like, that's his mandate and mission. But God, who is the good shepherd, he knows there is an ever-present enemy. And that's why he had David pen this to paper. Because he knows that the job description of the enemy is to, t- to steal, kill, and destroy. But one of the main job descriptions of God is that he's your protector. He's your protector. We see in verse, um, sorry, I'm going to catch where I'm at. So good. So good. You're right here. I'm right here. It's all good. He's our protector. Back in verse 4. Tim talked about the rod and the staff this last week. That they're there to protect us, to comfort us. Tim mentioned the rod, the cane that the shepherd would carry. And it was there to help the sheep go where they needed to go, to remind them where safety was, to get them back in line and hold them in safely. But there's a second object that the shepherd would carry. And it was called a rod, so the shepherd would carry this rod, and it the rod was like a club-like weapon that he would carry around with him. And it wasn't just like, well, here's, here's your rod, everyone gets a rod, pick a rod, any rod. But this this piece of wood was actually whittled down to fit the shepherd's hand perfectly. Precisely. And when older shepherds... Shepherds would teach younger shepherds from a young age, they would fit that rod in their hand and they would have them practice with that rod, throwing it with accuracy. It wasn't that it was just a club that they could beat someone over the head with or hurt someone with, but they actually would take rocks and nails and hard objects and put it in the end of the rod so that when they did use it, it made more damage than just simply hitting them. And they would carry this with them. And David carried this rod. When we read about David's life, and if you read the story of when he faced Goliath in 1 Samuel, it says that David went before King Saul. And he said to Saul, hey, here's my qualifications, why I should be able to go beat and defeat this giant. He said... When I used to care for my father's sheep, his flock, when a lion or a bear would come out of nowhere and show up on the scene and maybe steal a lamb, I would go after it and I would grab it by the scruff of the face and I would beat it. Now, when I read that, I thought, oh, that's because he has his staff or his fist. I don't know, but he beat the lion. That's pretty crazy. But I realize now it was the rod that David would use. It's the rod that the shepherd would carry. And the reason that David or a shepherd would have to carry this rod is because, well, we learned a lot about sheep. But something else I want to tell you about sheep is they don't have any defense mechanisms. Have you ever examined a sheep? Probably not. Me neither. But if you notice, a sheep doesn't have fangs for biting. A sheep doesn't have claws for clawing. A sheep isn't particularly strong and muscular. A sheep can't even run that fast. And before you think I just really love sheep and I'm just wanting to tell you about them, I want to remind you this morning as we learned the last two weeks that you're sheep. (laughs) I'm a sheep. We're sheep. And just like sheep... They weren't supposed to fight their enemy. I don't know if you've noticed, but you don't have fangs, most of you. You don't have claws. I know you've been working out at the gym and you've like got some gains and you could probably throw a mean punch, but you're not that strong. You're still a sheep. You might be able to run fast, but you can't outrun your enemy. You were never meant to protect yourself. And just as David and a shepherd would protect their sheep, God protects you and I. The Bible says that if you are a child of God, then you are protected. It says in Proverbs 18.10 that the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. Psalms 46:1 says, "God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in time of need." There's a quote that I love from Lon Solomon. Tim quoted him last week. He says, "This true security for sheep and for us is not found in the absence of danger, but in the presence of a shepherd." See. As a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, doesn't matter if you're in the pasture, if you're in the valley, if you're up on the mountaintop, no matter where you're at, you are protected. Protected by your God. And we have to be convinced of this promise. We have to understand the fullness of this truth in order to get verse 5. Because if you don't know God is your protector then feasting in his presence could be dangerous. It could be fatal. Sorry, not God's presence, the enemy's presence. (laughs) You're all, what? What? Feasting in the enemy's presence could be fatal if we don't understand God is our protector. But when you know he is your protector, you begin to understand what David said when God pre- prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Many theologians would disagree about what verse 5 truly means. They would disagree over if he's talking about sheeps or shepherds or if he's talking about a table. If you take the word table in the Bible and you translate it, it actually means tableland. And many of you, I didn't know what a tableland was. But we would probably be familiar with the word mesa. The Spanish word for table. See, there's a mountain that's tall, but on top is a mesa. It's flat. And come to find out, shepherds know what they're doing. And a shepherd would go in the spring, early springtime and they would find a tableland or a mesa for their sheep. And they would find the perfect setting, the perfect place to take their sheep in the spring and summertime. But before the shepherd ever took his flock there, he would go up to that tableland and he would prepare a place for them. He would actually take salts and minerals with him, and he would go and he would sprinkle it across the tableland so that the n- nutrients would be rich in the soil and grass would grow up that would be rich and would provide for the sheep, not just in the springtime when things were plentiful, but in the summertime when things started to die off, that the sheep would still have what they need to eat. That shepherd would also go and find the watering hole and after the wintertime when maybe sticks or debris had gotten in the watering hole, he would clean them out. He'd clear it out. He'd make sure there was no algae in there so that the sheep had fresh water to drink in that season. He would also investigate the land and he would look for certain flowers and plants that were dangerous and poisonous to his flock. And he would go around and he would pluck all the poisonous plants from the land. He'd bring a fence up and he'd, he'd put it in a space that was the safest space and zone for his flock and his herd to be able to feast and feed. He would go and prepare a place for them. He would go ahead of them. And I like that because it shows intention. It shows that God goes before us. Do you know that the season that you walk through, God's never surprised? Not just because he's the all-knowing God, but because it says that he himself goes before you. The season that you ended up in, maybe the season that you're in right now, the sickness that you're battling, the divorce papers that were served, the, the tragic thing that happened is a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to your God. Not only is it not a surprise to him, but he has gone before you knowing what season you're going to step in, and he has prepared provisions for that season. He's prepared a place for you to go to have peace and provision in that moment, in that season. The other picture that we get, you know, some theologians say, no, it's about sheep and shepherds. Other people say, Oh no, this is a moment where David switches in this part of the psalm and he changes the allegory to a table from the table land to the table. Now, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not standing in the middle saying, oh, no, but it's really this. Because here's the thing. I think we can find application of security in both settings. And David, if you remember, he was a shepherd at one point in his life. But David was also a king. He knew what it was like to sit at a table like this, to have a spread prepared before him. He knew both of those places. Let me show you what security looks like in this place, in this setting. If you know me, you know that I love to cook. I mostly love to cook because I love to eat. But I also love to host and cook for people. And, you know, I, I like dream about food. So... I could be planning a menu for, like, a week from now or a day from now or, like, that morning, like, wake up, like, ooh, we're having steak tonight. Like, that's what's happening. But I'll research a recipe forever to find, like, the perfect spice blend, say, for a nice cut of ribs. Who likes ribs? Yeah. I think we should have some ribs this afternoon. And it's not just that I, like, find the perfect spice blend. I know how to prepare the ribs now. Like, I know how to to take the fat off and trim it properly, how to remove the membrane. That sounds gross, but you want to remove the membrane if you want yummy ribs. And I take the spice blend and I put it on top of the ribs and I rub it in and I massage it in so it gets in every nook and cranny. And then I, I wrap it in foil and I put it in the fridge to sit overnight so that all of those flavors can meld into the meat. Ooh, you don't want to be a vegan anymore now, do you? Mmm. <laughs> but you, you put it in overnight and I don't just cook them. I take it outside to my backyard and I put them in my smoker. That's right. And you got to smoke them at about a three setting of smoke for about three hours and then we turn it down because we don't want them too smoky we want a perfect crisp but a perfect smoke so about six hours later these suckers come out perfection perfection you can't just eat ribs you need to have good sides so i take some curly kale because i'm healthy too and i take the kale and i chop it up put it in a bowl Take a little EVOO and drizzle it over the top. Some grainy sea salt. And because my food is apparently very tense, I massage the kale as well. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. You're going to go home and massage your kale because it takes the bitterness out of the kale. And all you people that don't like kale, you're going to eat kale now. Then I take my famous dressing, put it over the top. I chop up some dried bean cherries and some pumpkin seeds. I roast a medley of vegetables because, again, I'm healthy. But I don't like to do all the work, so I send Tim to Noe Valley Bakery to buy me a sourdough olive loaf, and I slice that up, and I serve it with some Kerrygold butter. Come on. But the meal is not over because you haven't had my famous underbaked bittersweet chocolate chip cookies with Malden salt sprinkled on top. Amen. Stop. You hungry? Here's the thing though you could have delicious food in a terrible atmosphere. We got to set the tone, people. We have to bring out the linens and we have to steam them because we don't need wrinkles in them. And we have to get out the linen napkins and the shiny silverware and we've got to light the candles and we've got to have some Michael Buble or whatever your taste is for that evening playing in the background. And we prepare this table. This beautiful table that people can come to because I love my people and I want to serve them. I don't want them to just come and eat my food. I want them to relax. Take a load off, Jazzy, as you eat these famous ribs and not be a vegan anymore. (laughs) Disciple you somehow, girl. Come on. (laughs) And my friends and my family come and they relax. They take a load off they rest because I've prepared a place for them to come and sit just as David the shepherd prepared the tableland for his flock or God comes and prepares this place for us to sit and to rest and take a load off bring our carry, all the things we were carrying, all the worries, and we relax. It reminds me of when Jesus was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. And we read in that setting that there was one of his disciples named John. And it says that he reclined next to Jesus. And in some translations it says he laid his head on Jesus' shoulder. He rested and relaxed. See, John was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. That speaks of of the intimacy, of the closeness, of the bond that he had with him. And that's what he wants with us. To come and to sit and to rest. It's a table set for two. I don't know if you noticed this. It's a table set for you and for Jesus. To rest. Now, when we read this psalm, it isn't that he prepared a table for us just in the good times, just when everything is going good. If that were the case, we would read this psalm and it would say he prepared a place for us. He prepared this spot for us in pleasant circumstances. Oh, when everything was hunky-dory. You love that phrase, don't you? But instead... David makes it a point to mention that this table is found in different circumstances, in a place where it doesn't seemingly belong, where it doesn't make sense, in the presence of my enemies. In other words, there is a table that is prepared for you, prepared prepared for me, not just in a place that's free from chaos, and free from bad things happening, but right smack dab in the middle of that season, that difficult season that you're walking through, in every situation, in every season, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a table prepared for you. There is a place for you to come. So let me ask you this morning, what valley are you walking through? What season do you find yourself in? Are you walking through a valley of depression? There's a table for you. Are you filled with heaviness? There's a table for you. There's something prepared for you. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Are you walking through a valley of grief? There is a table for you right in the middle of that season. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Psalms 147, 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. There's a table for you right here. Are you walking through sickness? There is a table for you. Jesus said, this is my body, which was broken so that you could find healing. There's a table for you. Are you walking through a valley of shame based on what you've done? That stupid thing you did, the thing you regret, are you walking through that? through that valley of guilt and the, it playing over and over in your head. There is a table for you. This is my covenant. This is my new covenant for you, which has been poured out. Man, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There is a table for you. There's a table set for you in the presence of what you're facing right now. Those enemies that you're facing right now. You're not alone in this season. There is actually a chair that's been pulled out for you. And Jesus is saying, hey, would you come? Would you come in the midst of this chaos so that I can show you where there's peace? But here's the thing, church. We actually have to sit down. If there's this table for us, and there's all these things prepared for us, and all we need in every season, in every situation, we actually have to sit down. And so many times there's things that keep us from the table. And that's where I want to land this morning. What is it that keeps us from that table? Because we know it's there. We know it's abundant. We know it's available. But what keeps us from it? There could be a number of things, but I think two of the most common things I want to share with you this morning. The first is our appetite. Our appetite keeps us from the table. How many of you in the room have kids? got kids. Maybe you can relate to this. I don't know about you, but one of the most difficult tasks as a parent is getting your child to come to the table. My kids could be asking me for food all day long. They're hungry all day long. But the moment I say it's mealtime and come out here and sit down, they're nowhere to be found. Kids, it's time for dinner. No one. Crickets. Like, they're the quietest they've ever been in their life in those moments. I'm like, kids and sweethearts, it's time for dinner. Kids, it's time for dinner to go back to their room to where they're playing or whatever they're doing and drag them out to the table to sit down and to eat. See, it's like they forgot they were hungry. And so many times I think we can find ourselves in a similar setting. We forget we're hungry. We forget we're hungry for God. See, I know you You've had a season in your life where you've been fired up for God. You were in church every Sunday morning. You never missed a church service. You woke up every single morning to your alarm so you could spend time in his presence, spend time with him before you went about your day. You had worship music playing 24-7. But something happened. Something happened in the middle of that where you're like, just didn't realize it, but all of a sudden... I wasn't at the table anymore. My faith began to wane. You know, David, the writer of this psalm, wrote in another place, he said the same thing. He said, I walked through this season, and he said to God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I didn't realize that I lost my appetite, that I wasn't hungry anymore. So why do we do this? How do we lose our hunger for God? I think we do because... We start filling ourselves up with other things. Where we had relationship with Jesus, we start having relationship with some other people. We get a new boyfriend. And all of a sudden he starts, ooh, I almost said filling us up. (sighs) That got a little sketchy. But it's true. All of a sudden that relationship is what's feeding you. You know... We can be so excited to read the word and dig in and then it starts to get old and all of a sudden that Netflix series we're watching is more exciting than the word. Find ourselves binge watching till 2 in the morning. Next thing you know, you're too tired to wake up and spend time with Jesus. We started getting fed from something else. Or it's that drink that feeds us after that long, hard day, not Jesus in his presence. And the reason that we're not hungry is we're filling ourselves up with something else. There's nutrition. There's everything that we need, vital nutrients here. But we find ourselves at the McDonald's drive-thru, filling ourselves up but not satisfied. Come on. Only he satisfies. Only his table can satisfy. Only he has the answer for the season that you're walking through. It's only he who satisfies. The second thing that I think keeps us from the table is our attention. Back to my kids. Finally got them to the table. They're sitting there. Especially my youngest. She finally took her first bite. And I'm like, we're in. Okay, nutrients are getting in your body. I'm doing my job as a parent, keeping you alive. Then all of a sudden, out of the corner of her eye, something shiny in the living room. And she jumps up and runs to the living room and she finds an object that she left there some toy probably a shopkin she's like at the shopkin just hanging out in the living room We're like livy come back to the table livy you're not done eating livy there's more for you over here but her attention is drawn to something else she grabs the shopkin she starts playing and we're like okay come back to the table So instead of coming directly back to the table, she starts pirouetting. She starts spinning. She starts dancing. She makes her way to the kitchen, but all of a sudden she notices a ray of sunshine is pouring and cascading through the window. And in San Francisco, we don't always see sunshine. So she immediately lays her body down and soaks in the sun rays and never makes her way back to the table. You know, I think that this looks like us sometimes in the spirit. Our attention gets on something else. Where once we were here and our attention was on the table. And we were feasting with Jesus. Getting filled up. Getting what we need for this season. Thank you, Jesus. This is so good. And we're having conversation with him. But all of a sudden, we look up. And our attention, remember, who's near the table? The enemy. We're like, oh, that's right. And, you know, the the valley that brought us here for the security, the valley that brought us here to be filled up by Jesus and get all of our questions answered about the valley, get the valley sorted out and the stuff we're walking through, all of a sudden we notice the valley over here and we start paying attention to the valley. Oh, this situation that I'm walking through, this is oh, this is this valley's pretty big. This this valley's pretty dark. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of this valley and all of a sudden our attention is on the situation that we're facing. But remember who's hanging out over here? The enemy. So not, not only are we focused on the valley, but all of a sudden we don't realize we're congregating with the enemy. We're hanging out near him. We walked away from the table, so the voice over there got quieter and quieter. And the voice over here got louder and louder. I don't know if you found yourself here, but I found myself here many times. The enemy's voice gets louder. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. This valley is going to take you out. This valley is probably going to take me out. And like the enemy lied to Eve in the garden, did God really say? Did God really say that? He says the same thing to you. Did God really say he can actually give you all you need? He can help you in this situation. He can get you out of this. All of a sudden, we're standing here when we should be sitting over there. We're standing in this space when all we need is right here. Not only does our appetite for him wane, but our attention. Church, we got to get back over here. We gotta get back to the space where he says, I have prepared a place for you. Everything you need, everything you're facing, I have the key, I have the answer for. Church, we gotta get back to the table. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.